0: moving about in a tent in a tabernacle, wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint you a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make those will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all of these words and with your, all this vision, Nathan spoke to David.
1: Let's pray. Gracious God, you and you alone are good. Help us, Lord, to hear the good news you intend for each one of us from the word just read and the words to come. Amen. So, I was confused. When I first read the scripture passage, I couldn't understand why God would tell David no. The Lord had given David some much-needed rest, and while David is kicking back, he looks out his palace window, and he sees God and the Ark of the Covenant, and he thinks... Why is God living out there in a tent? Something's wrong with this picture. The Lord God Almighty is stuck in a tent pitched in my backyard while David is living large in his palace of cedar. So David says to Nathan, Hey, I've got this great idea. I've got some time on my hands. We'll send a few hundred people over to Home Depot and we'll have a temple built for God in no time at all. So... Nathan, I don't know if he was just David's yes man at the time, but he says, go for it, Dave. Everything you touch seems to turn to gold. God's blessing everything that you do. But then Nathan got a very different message from God that night. God says, relay this to my servant, David. You see, in the first three verses, David is referred to as the king When God refers to David in verse 5, God calls David his servant. Here's a little hint at our theme today. It seems like David might be just a little too conscious about his position as being king. Now, it's true that David is the highest authority in the land, but in relation to God, David is merely a servant. It almost sounds like David wants to give God a helping hand. It would be like me after a little shopping spree at Target, picking up a few clothes, that I would then send a gift card to Kim Kardashian to buy herself a new outfit. God is saying, who are you to be building me a house? And then in the space of 12 verses, God is the subject of 23 active verbs all of the things that God has already done or plans to do in little David's life, lest we forget who is in charge. So what looked like good intentions to me on the first reading made me realize that I don't know what's going on in David's heart, but God does. Remember when Samuel was sent to find that man to replace King Saul? The Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not carried out my commands. So God sent Samuel to Bethlehem, to Jesse's house, to anoint the next king of Israel. So Jesse parades out his seven sons from the oldest to the youngest. Samuel sees the first one. Look at that tall, strapping young man. Surely this is the guy that God intends to be king But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So here's a little puzzle for you to think about what might be the root of our problem in our passage today. Five clues. Blank and God are like oil and water. It was through blank that the devil became the devil. Blank leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. The Lord hates these seven things, eyes that show blank, dot, dot, dot. And blank comes before the fall. Pride. Pride and God are like oil and water. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God's state of mind. The Lord hates these seven things, eyes that show pride. And pride, of course, comes before the fall. So the story is told about these two ducks and a frog who are living happily together in a little pond on a farm. They were the best of friends. They would amuse themselves and play together, splashing around in the water all day long, until the long, hot summer day came, and they realized that the pond was drying up and that they would have to move. Well, this is no problem for the ducks. They can just fly to another pond. But the frog, well, the frog was stuck. So it was decided that they would put a stick between their bills and that the frog would hang on with his mouth and they would fly to another pond. The plan worked so well that as they were flying over a farmer, he looked up and he goes, Wow, isn't that clever? I wonder who thought of that. And the frog said, I did. Pride, pride comes before the fall. You see, I wonder if David's heart was a bit prideful. Perhaps he wanted to build a temple for God so that he could say, look at what I did. And pride, it's a very serious offense. Have you heard of the seven deadly sins? At the very top of the list is pride. St. Augustine wrote, pride is the commencement or the beginning of all sin because it was this which overthrew the devil, from whom arose the origin of sin. Pride is called the mother of all sins, the great sin, because pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind, which might start to explain why God hates it so much. You see, pride divides. Pride pits person against person, Pride pits person against God. C.S. Lewis wrote, at its core, pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that the the people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they aren't. They are proud of being richer or more clever or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud of. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Well, this hit pretty close to home for me because I'm a competitive person, at least at card games and sports like basketball or volleyball or any game that you might want to play. I used to be in sales, also like a competitive field, and so it made me pause, and I was just wondering about the pride that I might be harboring in my own heart. And how about you? Is pride an issue that you're aware of, or is it something that you think about in your own life? Winston Churchill once stated, once was asked, Doesn't it thrill you to know that every time you make a speech, the hall is packed to overflowing? It's quite flattering, replied Sir Winston. But whenever I feel that way, I always remember that if instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the crowd would be twice as big. (laughs) Now contrast that story of Sir Winston with the one about a young American student who was visiting the Beethoven music the Beethoven Museum in Bonn, Germany. She was fascinated by the piano on which Beethoven had composed some of his greatest works. She asked the museum guard if she could play a few bars on it, and then she gave him this huge tip, and the guard agreed. The girl went to the piano, she tinkled the opening of the Moonlight Sonata, and as she was leaving, she said to the guard, I suppose all of the great pianists who come here want to play on that piano. The guard shook his head. Poderewski, the famous Polish pianist, was here just a few years ago, and he said he wasn't worthy to touch it. Ouch. <laughs> you see, the opposite of pride or the Christian virtue that Jesus so elegantly demonstrates is humility. Humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself than other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It just means thinking of yourself less, which also applies to our relationship with God. In God, we come up against something which is, in every respect, immeasurably superior to ourselves. Unless we know God as that, and therefore know ourselves as nothing in comparison, we don't know God at all. I think this was the general correction that God was trying to give David in light of David's house plans for God. We all seem to have this mustard seed of pride in us, yet God doesn't want to punish us to bring us low. He doesn't want to let pride divide us. God wants to forgive us, restore us, and draw us back close to him. You see, as long as we're proud, we can't know God A proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as we're looking down, we can't see something that is above us. Pride divides. Well, rather than accepting David's prideful offer for a house, God does only what God does so well. But he promises David something even more. He promises David a house, but not of stone or cedar, but a royal dynasty that the Lord is establishing forever. In just a couple of short months, we're going to read from the Gospel of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And now you, Mary, will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. And what do we know about this Jesus? Well, by the very act of leaving heaven, coming down to earth, taking the form of a man, Jesus demonstrated a spirit of profound humility, saying that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On his last night with the disciples, he took a towel and a basin and he washed their dirty feet, instructing them to follow his example of servanthood to one another. I think it's easy to see why God despises that sin of pride because it is totally contrary to who he is and to his purposes. It divides us from one another and it divides us from God. God wants us to stay humble like Jesus as we seek to love God and love neighbor. The Apostle Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what can we do about this pride that divides? Well, David actually gives us an idea. He teaches us to pray in the Psalms, and he wrote in Psalm 139, he writes, "'Search me, O God, and know my heart.'" Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me at all and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, by simply asking God for help, we are actually humbling ourselves before God. We can also fight back mentally. When God has shown us an area that we are finding some pride in ourselves, we can admit to God and ask for forgiveness. I'm just being proud, Lord, please remove my pride. Forgive me. Fill me with love. We could also get a prayer partner, someone who could help hold us accountable, someone who could pray for us. C.S. Lewis again writes that, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step the first step is to realize that one is proud. So as we prepare to come to this table where Jesus humbled himself, offering his broken body and his blood for our sins, we are reminded how much we are loved and just how far God would go to have an everlasting relationship with us. You know, it seems like our human condition comes with a bit of pride in all of us. So today, as you come forward for communion, we'd like to invite you, after you have taken the bread and the cup, to take a piece of wood that has been cut lovingly by my husband, thank you, 150 pieces, I think. And the word pride is written on it. And they're all different shapes and sizes, just like we're all different shapes and sizes. And the wood reminds us about that prideful David who wanted to build a house for God. The rough edges on the wood remind us of our rough edges and that God's not quite finished with us yet. So take it as a reminder of the pride that divides us from God and from one another. Take it as a reminder of the hidden pride that we have in each one of us. Take it as a reminder that the first step towards humility is to realize that we have pride. And then, as you're aware of it, ask God to remove it and to replace it with love. Amen. (laughs)
2: With all our pride and rough edges, we are invited by God, um, our God, our great Savior, to this table. This is not a Church of the Palms table, this is the Lord's table, and the Bible said people will come from the east and the west and north and south, from all ends of the earth to Um, Sit at the table with our God in order to feel the forgiveness and love and to feel being smooth on our rough edges. So let us pray. Holy God, we praise you. Let the heavens be joyful and the earth be glad. We bless you for creating the whole world, including us, for your promise to your people. Born of Mary, Jesus shares our life. Eating with sinners, Jesus welcomes us. Guiding his children, he leads us. Visiting the sick, he heals us. Dying on the cross, he saves us. Risen from the dead, he gives new life. Living with you, Jesus prays for us. With thanksgiving, we take this bread and this cup and proclaim the death and resurrection of our Lord. Receive our sacrifice of praise. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that this meal may be a communion in the body and blood of our Lord. Make us one with Christ and with all who share this feast. Unite us in faith and courage us with hope inspire us to love one another and to love you, that we may serve you as your faithful disciples until we feast at your table in glory. We praise you, eternal God, through Christ your word